Welcome to This Creative Life Radio. I'm Felicity O'Connor. Creative women all over the world are unblocking and recovering their creative journey while they rewrite the rules for creative success. Join me as I explore the lives of people engaged in successful creative work and unlock helpful tips that leave you inspired and ready to create. Welcome everybody, this creative life, it's great to be back with you today and I am very, very delighted to have the opportunity to speak uh, with a painter who I have admired for some time, Richard Claremont, Um, Sydney, well sort of Sydney, South Coast I think based. Um, Richard uh, comes from a background of a Bachelor of Arts I think in the mid-1980s from Sydney College of the Arts and I noticed Well, firstly, he's had plenty of exhibition experience, which I'm dying to ask him all about. But I also noted, Richard, you did uh, your high school at a Rudolf Steiner school, which is so interesting because so did I, except in Melbourne, but you were in Sydney. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thanks for having me on, Felicity. It's it's great to be here. Um, Yes, indeed. I I did go to uh, Rudolf Steiner school in uh, Sydney. Wow. and yeah, what an education! I'm I'm still trying to um, deconstruct it and and work out what it was all about because, um, as you probably know, like uh, Steiner's principles aren't actually taught to to the kids. Um, it's more the the outworking of what his philosophy is that is uh, what the curriculum is. But um, yeah, I've got some I've got some terrific memories of really um, inspiring lessons on. Uh, Norse myths and uh, Mayan agriculture and all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful things. It was certainly a um, a, a fantastic place to, to go to school for sure. Yeah, well, I, I had a similar experience actually. I, I um, thought it was just amazing. I um, yeah, really, really enjoyed myself in all of that. So um, yeah, that was incredible. When I read read that that you'd had that same experience, I was really quite stoked with that. Um, <laughs> So, all right, so let, let's sort of reverse engineer this, Richard, because um, where you are at now as an artist um, is, is quite impressive. Um, I've kind of known you probably, I suppose, for a couple of years or I've been following you for a couple of years. I think we met down in a Sydney exhibition of yours in Dank Street, um, which was a gorgeous show, and you've just gone on from strength to strength, like... It's really been quite stunning. I, I was looking at your Instagram page just the other day and it's like 22,500 followers. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, it, it certainly, um, it, it's certainly been a, a steady path of, of escalation. Um, yeah, obviously a lot of um, work goes in but behind the scenes and um, I think where it started to take off was a couple of years ago where I just became more... Uh, intentional about my art practice. Um, mm. I think up until then I'd been sort of uh, a little bit hit and miss and just uh, producing the odd work and the odd show. But um, these days I, uh, yeah, I, I like to put the hours in and I like to do what I call showing up for work. Um, that's kind of a practice where, I mean, it basically takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything. So I don't know how far along that process I am, but I'm always keen to um, hone my skills further. Um, I think I think one of the biggest struggles uh, we we face as creative professionals is the expectation to produce that quality work on a consistent basis. Um, yeah, we're sort of like uh, athletes on a track or something. You know, we're primed for performance. 
Um, we've got to have our wits about us. We need to make great decisions. Um, and we need to know that all our efforts are, are geared for, for maximum results. So I know that process can't be forced, that, you know, for a lot of artists, um, it we've got to paint spontaneously and at the right time. But um, I think while there is a time to uh, to pause and to reflect and to refine and all that, I think that's different to just, you know, throwing your hands up in the air and refusing to continue. So I guess that, that work ethic is something that I ha- have come to, to uh, recently and, um, yeah, just that idea of approaching your work like, like a nine-to-five job, basically, I, I found that that has really helped me be uh, a lot more productive and a lot more effective. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I'm actually really thrilled to hear you say that because um, that I would say I've had a parallel with, with you in terms of that in, it being intentional and that work ethic. And, look, it takes work, doesn't it? It really takes, I think, way more hard work than most people realise. Look, it really does, and I'm, I'm very serious about treating it like a, a nine-to-five job and, um, you know, I sort of think, you know, how would, how would an employer react if, if, we, if we didn't show up yeah. for work? Uh, just because we didn't feel like it or because we weren't feeling uh, particularly inspired that day. I mean, we'd probably uh, be told to smarten up or ship out and we might not have a job to go back to the next day. So um, if you've ever been an employee, uh, think of yourself as uh, your own employer and and talk to yourself accordingly. Um, Fantastic. That's a fantastic tip. But that also includes, um, yeah, offering words of advice and encouragement when required as well. It's not all sort of, you know, wielding the big stick. Yeah, yeah, okay, fantastic. And I'm interested in that sort of what you're saying about the nine-to-five job because you work another job, right? I do. I've actually uh, been a postie for a long time now. Um, we love that. Was... We, love, we love the painting <laughs> postie. That's, that's got so postie. much traction, the painting <laughs> postie. Tell yeah. us about how you figured that out then because you're not actually painting nine-to-five. You might be painting five till nine, <laughs> but how do you fit all that in? Well, this year I've been lucky enough to negotiate a new um, agreement at work, so I'm actually only working one week in three now, which is fantastic ah, uh, right. because it means I get two uninterrupted weeks to work solely on my uh, painting, which feels like a huge luxury that I've never had before. Um, so I really uh, knuckle down in those two weeks and, and get, get a lot done. But even while I'm out um, delivering my mail, I'm always thinking of new ideas. I'm uh, looking around. I'm, um, yeah, getting inspiration from what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm scanning all sorts of uh, things in nature, like the way that roads intersect power poles and the way that trees imprint themselves on that. I'm always, I'm always looking around to see how things fit together. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. So in that sense, the... Um, the posty job also gives me what I call white space, so that's time just to kind of debrief and, and mm. clean a little bit, and I think that's an important part of the the process as well, just that um, putting your work aside for a while and not mm. feeling like you've actually got to be physically painting, um, mm. that actually uh, thinking and uh, considering are very part, important parts of the process as well. Absolutely, and I think, you know, the more we look at the psychology of productive and successful people in all walks of life, what you will discover is that regenerating and recovery and recharging process is vital to then the, the, whatever it is that you are producing after that, that, that it, it, you know, the, the people that are doing best 
you know, are really actually understanding. Just going back to your analogy with the athlete, you know, that if you're training for a marathon, you don't run a marathon distance every day. You, you, you know, you have bursts to train and then you have recovery periods. And I think you're spot on. And isn't it interesting, I think, as artists that we are digesting everything around us visually all the time in between, you know, being actually in front of the easel, so to speak. And yeah. our, our paintings probably, I mean, this is, I know, one thing that, that's always interesting to talk to artists about is, you know, what's the, the process for starting a painting. For me, it's sort of a continuous role, like what you're saying, you're observing and thinking and considering. And is that the start of the painting, in fact? Absolutely. And, and I think the actual start to the painting is really just an outworking of everything that's gone before it, which yes, exactly. is a uh, consideration process uh, that we were talking about. Um, I guess when I'm in my studio and when I start a painting, I, I look at the canvas and I basically say, take me somewhere. Well, wh wh where are you going to take me today? Mm. And then I just allow all my thoughts and experiences from, um, yeah, maybe the last week, but really over a series of years to just input into my work. Um, and, and I think for me, like the actual composition of the painting, like once I get a concept, it's about um, entry and exit points. Um, it's, it's a process of sort of leading the, the viewer's eye uh, through the painting. Um, yeah, when you when you look at a painting, the, the brain's trying to make sense of it and um, our eyes are always scanning for patterns. We like to connect the dots. We like to see uh, rhythm and balance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the Japanese have got a, a wonderful word. It's called sumi and it, and it means all those uh, design elements of balance like um, areas of rest and symmetry, but also um, things like asymmetry and break from routine. So they're important parts of the um, compositional um, side of my painting that I like to keep in mind as well. So when you, when you sort of say that, keeping in mind, do you find that you sort of aren't necessarily holding that consciously throughout the, the construction or the, the composition process? Do you find that that's sort of almost just coming naturally without having to think about it? Or are you actually thinking about that as you're constructing something? Look, I, I think the more you do it and the more you, you rack up that 10,000 hours of work you need to do, um, but the more that becomes intuitive, and yes, yes. Um, I think when we look at a painting, regardless of the artist's intended meaning, our brain's uh, looking for a way to enter the work. And I think typically the eye starts at the the bottom and left sides, but but if there's no line or accent there or no entry point, it'll quickly look elsewhere. So um, in that sense, it's not as critical where the entry and exit points are, but that there is some uh, subtle rhythm. Mm. lead the viewer's eye across the length and the, the breadth of the canvas. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the longer brush strokes um, indicate, you know, some kind of direction and calmness. Um, shorter, more varied strokes create a bit of a drama and a sense of climax. And then longer strokes again to uh, indicate that, that sense of uh, resolution and, and a comfortable exit. So whilst I'm not thinking about these things consciously, I, I realise that, um, painting is kind of like telling a story and, and Van Gogh was a master of this actually. Mm. Some, some paintings will tell a linear story, um, others will um, have several plots going on at the same time with, with multiple dramas and, and lots of exit points but 
um, each each painting will, will tell its own story of process in that way, and, and it's a useful thing to keep in mind as far as engaging the viewer goes. Yeah, I think that's really well put, and certainly that's something um, that, that I think you stand out with in terms of a story because you you do that visually with the work, but then you seem to have a real knack of just your little kind of comments on social media or in places I've seen that that, that, that also sort of spell out just a few few sentences about the story of the image. Yeah, look, look, storytelling is a big part of my work. Um, I think there's so much work out there in, in cyberspace that if you can kind of um, let people know a little bit about what informs your work, it'll, it'll help that um, sense of engagement. And I think for those who are fans of, you know, all those uh, reality TV shows like MasterChef, um, you know, they're, they're not tuning in to, to learn how to cook. They're, 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 they're tuning in because of the story of the individual characters, the, the dramas. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think even the contestants on those shows wouldn't really object to themselves being called characters because that's what they are. They're, they're, they're put there to, to tell a, a story in a modern context. And as humans, uh, we're, we're hardwired to, to both tell and listen to stories. Um, you know, stories are what explain the, the stars and the skies to primitive man. Um, and all Shakespeare's tragedies are about the great, you know, triumphs and tragedies of the, the human condition. And pretty much every Hollywood movie cashes in on that great story formula of struggle, redemption, etc. So, yeah, we're, we're hardwired to tell stories. And I think that is a very uh, useful entry point um, to engage people with. So I like to incorporate that into my work. Yeah, and yeah. That's, a, that's a, I think, a really helpful tip for many of the artists that will be listening to, to this recording today. So, yeah, excellent. I mean, it just also reminds me again back to our you you and I, our childhood in, as Steiner School students, you know, how much yeah. story was used for education and how incredibly engaging it was as a child to be able to absorb, you know, be absorbed in, in story for learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... If you can identify in your life some some point of difference, something that defines who you truly are, um, something about your art practice that's interesting or quirky or unique, um, that's the kind of stuff which captures people's imagination. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just little things like, you know, do you do you sketch while you're having breakfast or, you know, do you... Do you, Richard? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but I know people that do. Um, you know, whatever you do that that's different you know do you doodle in your coffee froth I don't know just (laughs) work out something that's kind of a little bit unique about your art practice and I guarantee people will find it fascinating and even though you might think it's mundane or inconsequential um, if you can inspire or educate or amuse or just make people dream that that's what will draw people to your story well it's also about connecting isn't it like and this is what's so what i just love about social media actually is it it's you know sharing those little snippets of your process your life your creative life is you know as you're saying things that we think we barely even notice because we just do them so habitually the sharing of that that we can now do through things like social media it connects us and of course we're often fairly kind of solo animals aren't we as artists Absolutely, we are. We, we do tend to be fairly hermetic work, working away in our studios. So um, it, it's great when you can uh, connect online. And, and I think when when people get to know your story, they they start to um, 
they start to trust you and, and for an artist that can mean that they'll start to buy your work as well. So, exactly, exactly, so, yeah. Um, storytelling has, has multiple benefits that are not only to do with, um, you know, keep, you're keeping your life interesting and keeping you engaged with your own work but also um, drawing people to you and, and facilitating that process of connection. Yep, absolutely, spot on. I just wanted to jump over to a couple of questions um, from the group from the easel, which is um, my beautiful Facebook artist community, speaking about connection. Uh, that was one of my inspirations to set that group up to create uh, a community online for people that perhaps weren't, um, you know, just feeling they're a little bit out there on their own and not, not quite in a, in a belonging in, in, in a sense. So as, as you know, I uh, took the step to post up uh, the fact that I was going to be chatting to you today and we got some fantastic questions from the group and I just thought if it's okay with you, I'll jump to asking you some of the things that the artists are curious to know about you and your process. Um, are you good with that? Is that okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Put you I, on I, the spot. <laughs> I hope I can answer. <laughs> and I promised I wouldn't ask you about whether, how often you clean your brushes, so we're uh, not going to do that. <laughs> just don't go there, please. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny? That's that's definitely one of those things we all sort of hide away. I think we know one lots to talk Every about. Every I think it's just one of those closets we don't open. <laughs> yep, we won't go there. We won't go there. I promise. We'll leave that well and truly in the closet. But um, firstly, uh, Eve D'Alessandro has asked um, some great questions. She wants to know a little bit about um, when you're beginning your process of painting. Do you start by blocking everything in and getting all the tones right? Um, is that something to do? You do, and do you do any little studies beforehand? Yeah, look, it's it's a um, no two paintings are the same, and the process is is always different. But um, typically, a painting will start just from a few uh, shapes that I might have scrawled on the on the back of an envelope. So, if it's a landscape, for instance, what what I'm looking for is geometry. I'm looking to break it down into uh, shapes. So. Um, where triangles connect and um, overlap and intersecting points and circles. So it'll start um, typically as uh, blocking in the canvas uh, with some very blurry shapes, and that can either be in oil paint or, as I'm doing now, I'm starting with an acrylic base now um, just to get that, that first layer down. Mm. Um so once I've done that, I look at what, what's on my, on my plate and I try to then work on colour groups and, and try and imagine what each area is going to uh, look like in terms of, of colour groups. Um, obviously, light and shadow is factored in there as well. So I like to think, um, because my work's mostly about light, I'm thinking, well, where's the light source coming from? And there's got to be an area where it explodes, basically, in light. So... Um, I, I guess these things are, are all happening spontaneously um, as I go. Uh, sometimes I'll have studies. Um, for those that have seen my little uh, studies that I do out on my run while I'm delivering mail, they're, they're very useful for uh, compositing the, the larger paintings when I get back to my studio. So I'll have those as a reference and uh, maybe a couple of photos I might have taken at the time. Um, for details, I don't always put detail in. It just depends on the nature of the painting. So... 
Yeah, that's a little bit about the the physical process. Yeah, so you t- tell me a bit more about that because um, again, another question in the group from Paula McMillan Perch uh, was about tips or tricks for your mobile studio versus your studio work. Now, I'm, I'm assuming she means how you cleverly balance your little paint box and easel on the front of your posty bike and do, do these little studies. I think that's what she means by mobile, like really yep. mobile. Can you have yep. you got any? Comments on that, Richard? Yeah, sure. Look, just a disclaimer here, I do not paint while I'm riding, so <laughs> throw post if you're listening. Um, OH&S standards are adhered to at all times. Um, no, when I do the studies, it's always in my allocated breaks, so I get little five-minute breaks along the way, so I'll, sure I'll pull Sure you do, Richard, sure you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll, um, I'll pull out my little paint box and, and try and progress my uh, painting from, from the previous day or whenever I started it. So it's just a little... Um, it's basically a, a Cuban cigar box that I've um, co-opted into a little fold-out easel. Um, so it just folds out, and I've got some basic paints at the bottom. Um, I love working spontaneously and with limited materials. It really is a good exercise, I think, to um, operate with basics like that and a limited palette and limited materials. Um, mm, I think it's good. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that if all you had was a beach and a stick, you could do like some kind of reasonable artwork just in the sand um, with the stick. So, you know, and any improvement on that, I think, um, yeah, it, it's it's all part of, you know, using what's at hand. And I like that process of being, um, I suppose, painting in the moment and, and using uh, limited materials. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. And it, it, it reminds me again of your amazing work ethic, you know, that even in the midst of a working day, you, you're still processing and actually creating and then building on that later. I mean, I just I just think that speaks to your incredible commitment, um, which right back to the beginning of our discussion, you know, we were saying it takes a hell of a lot of work and you've got to be immersed in that, I think. Yeah, you do, yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, like, like every hour that you spend refining your craft, what, whatever that means for you from you know, learning how to stretch a canvas properly, analysing colour theory, if that's your thing, um, mm-hmm. learning how to promote your work. Every hour you spend honing those skills counts. Um, I think the theory that the geniuses are born and not made only goes so far. Um, painting, like everything else, it's a learnable, uh, teachable skill. Um, I mean, it's true that some people are born with more of a natural eye for colour, just position those things, but um, that's only useful insofar as the application and, and the work ethic to, to put it into action. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, now, Glenn, Glenn Hamilton has asked uh, who are some of your favourite artists? Yeah, look, I don't really have a, a long list of favourite artists. Um, I mean, I, I'm always inspired by what I've seen from the Impressionists and the Post-Impressionists, obviously. Um, you know, I can look at Van Gogh paintings all, all day long and see something new every time and and his ability to um, tell a story and put you in his um, shoes, basically, is something that I really um, pay attention to. So, um but just as much like I'm inspired by uh, the romantic poets, um, poets like, you know, John Donne and, mm. and Keats and Wordsworth, like the sorts of things that they were trying to describe in words um, of walking out into the landscape every day and, 
and um, trying to put in words what, what they were experiencing. Um, you know, the work of those guys is just as important to me, really, um, in terms of translating your experience in the landscape uh, to a format that other people can relate to. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. Do you spend, just on that, I mean, do you spend time going around to, to exhibitions much? Oh, look, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm the world's worst uh, exhibition viewer, so if you count <laughs> me coming and seeing your show, I'm, I'm going to be a horrible disappointment to Damn. you. Damn. Uh, <laughs> I mean, having said that, I do try to get out as much as I can. Um, I do live a fair way from Sydney, so it's um, often hard to get to, to all the shows which do seem to more often than not be in Sydney. Um, I mean, I, I love galleries when I can get to them and obviously when I'm travelling in Europe, I, I do make a point of, of going to all the um, to, to the great uh, galleries, um, especially in Paris where they're, you know, on every corner. I, I love um, I, I love sort of, yeah, just going out and, and seeing what little uh, local galleries are in the area that I'm staying in. So I do like to engage with art, but as as we're all noticing, there's so much beautiful art available online now and my uh, Facebook feed is just a continually revolving display of, of beautiful and new work every day. So um, it does, unfortunately, tend to take the edge off to... Um, yeah, putting the, the physical effort in, into going to shows. Okay, okay. But what, different, different kind of experience, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and don't, don't feel guilty about that, by the way. I live out of Sydney too. And it's, <laughs> it really is. It's quite a, a thing to orchestrate to, to travel yeah. and get to a show, especially if it's you know if there's an opening in, on an evening or something. You really have to be pretty pretty motivated and high energy to, to do of much course. of that, don't you, if it's not around the corner from you. But it's just speaking to the, the, to the Europe thing because that was actually – that's a great lead-up into one of the questions I was going to ask you because um, was it, I think, late last year you were off to Hong Kong and I haven't caught up with you since that experience and I'd love you just, just to describe firstly how you how the hell did you end up being able to go to Hong Kong and, and what was it like? Yeah, sure. That was a, a really good uh, learning experience for me, Hong Kong. So I was um, I was approached by the Asia Contemporary Art Show to, to be one of their exhibitors there in October last year. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a really interesting format. So what they do is they basically um, hire two floors of the Conrad Hilton Hotel in Hong Kong. So the room that you stay in becomes your gallery by day. So uh, what you do is you get all your paintings out from under your bed and you um, set them up around the room and you're basically your own little uh, self-enclosed gallery. And wow. So it's your room that you're staying in that becomes your exhibition space during the day. Sounds kind of wacky, doesn't it? Just I was, a bit, yeah. <laughs> I was really in two minds when I heard about it. I thought, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> um, but they love it. Like the the um, the investors and the art lovers there, they love that format. They, they love the idea of... Um, I guess that closer connection with the artist and also being able to look at a lot of art in one location um, is very appealing. So, And what, hopefully not noticing the undies on the floor and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thankfully I had my wife with me to, to take care of all the, the housekeeping duties so she sort of, um, yeah, yeah, put, put the undies away. Um, yeah. <laughs> So that was a great experience. I, I couldn't say that I um, I received a great response there, which I was a little bit um, surprised by. I, I'd had a, a good I'd had a good show in Paris the year before, and I was kind of thinking, okay, let, let's um, try Hong Kong now. So I was a little bit 
um, surprised that although there were thousands of people that came through, um, I'm not sure if it's my style of art that was problematic, but there was a, a level of engagement that just wasn't quite there. And I, I got the feeling a lot of the um, people coming through just literally hadn't seen an oil painting before. Oh, wow. Yeah. A, a lot of the art in the show was very uh, design-oriented, very pop-oriented, um, you know, very flat surfaces or mm. um, like very sort of pop sculpture of um, like paddle pops and, and things like that, things that right. sort of very, um, yeah, very glitzy things that you might see online every day. And, and I think to the Asian market or maybe it's just the Hong Kong market, that's that's their idea of fine art now. And um, the sort of older techniques of oil painting, um, I just think possibly aren't being taught to, to students these days. So, yeah, for me, I, I just found that there wasn't quite the level of engagement um, that, that I was hoping for. So, so while that was disappointing, it was also a good opportunity for me to um, regroup a bit and, and have a look at my art practice and what um, areas I was going to pursue and what areas I was going to prune. So um, that particular Asian market now, I'm um, going to put on the back burner because I've got to prune. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In Australia and the United States and Europe. So um, I think it was a good exercise in horses for courses and uh, you don't have to be popular everywhere. Mm, indeed. And, in fact, it sounds like, you know, Paris, um, if we think about it, could very well have a more traditional kind of appetite for us. Yeah, look, they've got such a history there, obviously. They're, you know, they've got oil, oil paint in their blood. Yeah. Fine art is part of the daily fabric of living. It's not, it's not something that's cloistered away in a gallery all the time like it is here. It's something a little bit uh, strange and a little bit kind of uh, left wing for, for the French arts part of what they do. They, they live it and breathe it. They're very expressive people. Um, they're able to talk very openly about their feelings. They're, um, they're very expressive. So it's a great environment to, um, to travel as an artist and, and just to be there as part of all that was, was a fantastic experience. Have you actually done like residencies there? Is, uh, tell us about that, like in Europe? No, look, look I, I, I generally don't um, apply for residencies. Um, if I want to do something, I'll just go there. I, I don't sort of... Right, you don't muck around. <laughs> I don't muck around. I don't like um, what I want to do to be dependent on someone else's approval. So it, it's all part of, um, yeah, I don't like to rely on luck in my art practice. I like to be intentional and I like to make things happen. So um, if I want to go and paint somewhere, I'll just up and go there, um, pack up my little um, cigar box and, and off I go basically. And um, that may or may not uh, lead to a show, but I've learned that, um, like I don't like to produce a body of work with no clear intention about uh, where it's going to be exhibited, um, who the audience for it's going to be and things like that. I, I like to be intentional um, and know basically um, what's going to happen to a body of work. It, it's sort of – I don't like wasting my time and, um, yeah, outsourcing things to other people's um, control and approval. Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> interesting. Statistical, but – I think I identified a long time ago that I, I, I want to be a full-time artist, so how am I going to get that? Um, galleries haven't worked for me. I, I haven't found um, a gallery that's able to uh, sell or promote my work as well as I do. So to be a self-represented artist 
at this time of my career really is a no-brainer to me. Um, and, and I think the corollary of that establishment world are things like, um, you know, scholarships and residencies and um, to some extent even art prizes, things that are um, dependent on a very small group of gatekeepers um, allowing you through um, are not the way to attract an audience, the way to reach your audience. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's fascinating because, I mean, I think there is potentially a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves if we want to kind of grow this career into being a represented artist by a gallery, you know, and there's this kind of, yeah. I pick up this bit, almost like a bit of a frenzy about who can grab the, the yeah. crumbs that are, that are there in terms of, you know, this yeah. sort of, yeah. it's like a scarcity mindset, isn't it, that there isn't enough and we've got to grab it to survive, whereas what you're saying, and it's clearly working for you, is that, you know, if you want to be a full-time artist, uh, you can be, you can, and you can Absolutely. be self-represented and self-represented. And, and the other thing that you, you can do, which you're doing and which I'm doing, is that we work other jobs to make income. Absolutely. Yeah, look, look. I think the important thing to remember is that the, the, the aim is to find an audience, not a gallery. So um, if a gallery can facilitate your path to an audience, well and good. Um, I haven't yet found one that can introduce me to the kinds of numbers that I can uh, find for myself just through posting on social media. So mm. um, you don't even need to um, exhibit your work to make a living as a full-time artist, and, and that's a bit of a bombshell, I know. Um, but it, it's a reflection of the different ways that people are consuming art now and the ways in which people are, are comfortable to buy art. Um like most of, I'd say nearly uh, 90% of my sales happen outside shows. Um, 90% did you say? Yep, wow. yep, in between shows. And um, I've, I've got to the stage where I won't, I won't go into an exhibition unless I've got a qualified list of buyers that I know are going to be there. Otherwise, I'm just wasting my time. Um, so how do you so, know that? How do you know you've got a qualified list of buyers? Well, just through communicating with them, basically, and through the kind of feedback uh, that you're getting, um, I think you've got to work on that front end of your practice first, and that is producing the work, um, building your audience and engaging them. And once you have that audience, um, you can take your work wherever you want. You've, you can curate a portable audience that will show up wherever you put an exhibition on. So... Um, yeah, and, and like I was saying, like 90% of sales really do happen before the show, and I mean that not just physical sales, but even the people who are going to buy at your show, 90% of them will have already seen your work somewhere. So the, the more people you can reach in that lead-up period to a show, the better. Um, building, building an audience um, offline is a really difficult, painstaking and inefficient process. Um, it's usually achieved by spending countless hours in galleries and art fairs, um, you know, waiting for a few unqualified customers to turn up who've never seen your work before. And I just find it an incredibly inefficient model and it's based on the hope that um, high traffic will equal high, high sales. Um, and that can work if, if you're in the business of selling uh, soft drinks or, or takeaway food on a, on a busy street corner. But as artists, we're in the business of selling a high-end product to a limited market, so we've got to adopt a, a smarter approach. Um, the way I look at it is, you know, why waste 
countless hours waiting for a, a random audience to turn up at a show when you could be um, carefully curating a growing market of qualified buyers in oh, a tenth of the time um, from the comfort of your computer at home. Mm, that's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm all about streamlining the process. So ultimately, I've got more time to do what counts, and that's spending more time in the studio and, and getting better at painting. Indeed, indeed, that's exactly the priority, isn't it? And that's that's that intentional kind of focused job that you you you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's that's so interesting to hear, and such a refreshing kind of approach. And I'm sure there are there are going to be many people that um, feel quite inspired by that listening to this, Richard, because. As I said, you know, and, and as you said, you know, there are such such a variety of ways that we can be seen. Um, the trick, I think, is to keep encouraging people to engage with posting things up, like you're saying, and interacting online and not kind of sitting back hiding it because if you're not seen, how can you build the momentum that you're talking about? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I think that... Um harks back to what we we're talking about um with work practice and and habits so i think um like, like the way that the way that i look at my art practice is um it's basically like a like a, a tripod or, or a three-legged stool you've got to have um like a, ba- a basic painting skill set and, uh, um, and you've got to have application But the um, yeah the, the 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 painting skill set is all about um, improving your skills and just making sure that your work's as good as it can be. Um, yeah, studying other artists, being, being the best that you can be, honing your skills. But I think the administration side is important too. So we've got to be good at um, you know that can include marketing your work and um, communicating with buyers. But probably. Just as important is the application, the work ethic, the follow-through. Um, you know, without that third leg to the stool, it's all going to fall down. And I've seen I've seen a lot of artists who are great at one of those and terrible at the others. Yeah. And it's a shame um, to see great artists drop off the radar. Um, yeah. But equally, I've seen artists who are okay at all three of those, and I'd probably include myself in that. Um, you only really have to be average in uh, three of those skill sets and it's enough to sustain a living as a full-time artist. Yeah, that's superb. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, I often say or, or make note of my, to myself that, that artists can be their own worst enemies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can shoot yourself in the foot without even realising it and yeah. it does come back to things as basic as habits, you know. As, as humans, we're hardwired to habits. So... Um, the best way to create good habits is um, to get rid of those bad habits. We, we've all got habits. So, um, you know, if you spend too much time, I don't know, online browsing or whatever, like which could mean intentional um, posting. It's all about maximising maximizing your skill sets um, to the maximum possible advantage because at the end of the day, like I assume we all want to be, um, successful artists in whatever way that means to you. Um, you've just got to identify your goals if you want to, you know, if you want to be a, a hobby artist who's just happy um, creating one-off pieces that are very personal pieces. That that's fine. Like like name it and claim it, and you know you'll have the greatest artistic freedom of anyone because you can do exactly what you want. But 
if you want to take it to that next level of building an audience and selling your work and um, getting regular sales, then um, think about why you're painting. Think about um, who your audience is, your target market, and um, think about how you can engage them on, on a long-term basis and, and communicate with them in an effective way. Fantastic. Look, I, I think that's incredibly rich um, in terms of uh, help for our listeners and, and, and certainly for me. I'm, I'm getting loads from this. I'm, I'm writing heaps of notes. Um, and look, what you're doing is working. Richard, you're, you're kind of the, the proofs in the pudding here and you know, I, I really want to commend you for that because I think it's exceptional exceptional what you've been able to achieve. I think your work is just stunning and the, the proof is there in terms of, of how you've been growing this career and you you're sort of almost getting yourself into a position, you know, where you will be a full-time artist by the sounds very soon. Oh, look, I, I already am. Like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more than more than comfortable with my art. Um, I, I'm only keeping up the postage job really just um, to have that white space in my life that, that we were talking about. But, um, yeah, basically that, that particular goal has been achieved already. So, um it's it's a good problem to have. I've got to set some set some new goals now. It's to set some new goals. Well, that's actually really important, isn't it? If you're yeah. creative, a creative person, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Well, congratulations once again. Now, um, Thanks, one other quick question, uh, which came again from our from the Easel Facebook community, uh, Chris Clark. She was keen to hear whether you were having any workshops, retreats. Do you do that sort of stuff? Look, I haven't started doing that yet. I, I do get a lot of requests for workshops and, um, yeah, retreats and that kind of thing. Um, up until now, time's been my biggest enemy, so I haven't really even had time to consider it. Uh, 2017, I, I'm hoping to, to factor things like that in. So um, I've just got to think about what my particular kind of workshop would be. I'd, I'd, I'd probably want to do a more holistic thing that wouldn't necessarily be just about um, analysing colour theory or, or looking at how we clean our paintbrushes. <laughs> that's, that's not really my thing and there's people that can do that sort of thing a whole lot better than me. But, but what I'd like to do is introduce people to my process of art, which is as much as um, going out into the landscape, walking around, um, getting impressions, making sketches. Um, you know, I'd, I'd do a demonstration and then we might just, you know, go back to my studio and, and all paint in the afternoon and share ideas. And um, my wife's a qualified cook, so we'd have a nice lunch put on for us, um, that sort of thing. Okay, so, I'm there. I'm there. Put me down. <laughs> I'm she's signing up. I've run it by her, so um, who knows. So, so that sort of, um, yeah, total experience kind of thing I, I think is more what I would find enjoyable and ultimately probably more more um, useful for my followers. So, yeah, yeah I've, definitely I've, on that. Sounds good to me and I, and I must think when I think back to all the number of workshops and retreat sort of things I've done like that, that's the style I find I've always got the most out of too. And just really, you know, just, just hanging around with um, like-minded artists, like-minded people, you know, I just find that incredibly rich. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we can learn so much from each other and we've all got – um, ideas to cross-pollinate and, and we're all on, you know, our own trajectory and, and it's a fantastic thing when, when that can overlap and, um, yeah, I mean, if anything I've done can can help anyone else, that that's definitely, you know, something that I'd, I'd like to um, like to do for well, sure. That's, that's great news for, for all of us, absolutely. Richard, um, 
we're sort of winding up, but I, I was keen to find out um, the best way that people could contact you, find out more, maybe if they haven't seen your work um, and they're, they're now really interested and inspired. Where's the best place for them to go? Is it a website or what have you got? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm on most channels these days. Um, website is probably the easiest way. I've got a contact form that people can um, get my email address from. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So, um, yeah, feel free to, to shoot me a message on, on whatever channel you're on. I, I'm sure that one way or another I'll end up getting it. You'll, you'll, we'll track you down. Well, Richard I'm Claremont, <laughs> that's excellent. That's absolutely superb. And um, I would recommend anyone who wants to uh, have a look at Richard's work and connect up all the fantastic advice and thoughts, reflections that he's shared with us today with what he actually does on the canvas, um, then do check him out on those appropriate channels. Richard will put some links to those things in the show notes as well for people so they can find you even more easily. And uh, look, once again, I found that just the most fantastically helpful and interesting discussion to have and I really appreciate your thoughtfulness, your focus, uh, your willingness to share your experience. Um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. Look, you're absolutely welcome, Felicity. It was my pleasure and I'd like to thank you as well for, for helping all the artists that you help in your way too. So it was great being on. Thanks so much. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much. So um, if you're intrigued about the Facebook group, which Richard is a member of, so you can find him there, I know for sure, um, it's, it's the Facebook community called From the Easel and you can connect up with – we've got over a 1,000 practising artists in that group now and it's growing by the minute, so it's a beautiful community to be part of. Uh, otherwise, you can find me and my website, send me any messages, any thoughts, any feedback on the interview would be fantastic and um, all those details you'll be able to find. So thanks, Richard. We'll let you go back to what you're doing, uh, which is I know you're in your studio right now as you're talking to us and I'm sure you've got some things ready to roll out there. So uh, we look forward to more of your beautiful creations, more of your art. Um, I'm definitely hanging out for that retreat workshop. I will be there. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk again soon. All the best. Thanks so much, Felicity. All the best. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're feeling really ready to jump into your creative life. If you'd like more information about my inspiring 12-week online program to seriously unblock your creative life, pop on over to my website, felicityoconnor.com, and go to the Work With Me page. If you're after a super friendly, helpful community of creative people to hang out with, you must check out my amazing Facebook group called From The Easel and join hundreds of artists and creative people that have discovered that they don't have to take this journey alone.